This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Clagan, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you this evening? I am so good. And boy, did we have some rain this week. Yeah, yeah, man. It's, uh, it felt like we were in Seattle for a while, but <laughs> that's okay. You know, we went for a few weeks where we were getting very little rain. It, it evens out. Well, we needed it. You know, I was outside looking at my, I have a septic system. I was looking at my drain field and they were dark brown lines along my drain field. And I thought there's something wrong with my drain field, but apparently that's a good sign, but it just means we're having a drought. Yes. So I, I was thinking I was going to have to call a plumber and <laughs> the whole nine yards, but we are okay. <laughs> Anytime you can avoid the plumber, it is I'm a good thinking, day. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into the topic here tonight, Nicole. And this is this is something interesting, and I don't think that it's it's something on the top of mind for a lot of caregivers, but it's it's still a critical piece of things when, uh, when we're talking about typical caregiving situations. You know, definitely. So we're uh, blessed to have today with us uh, Laurel um, Hillen, and she is a social worker, grief counselor with Transitions Life Care, and she specifically focuses her um, sphere of influence and work around grief care with children. And so I think, you know, sometimes when we're talking about the family caregiver situation, sometimes children are involved in that, and we may not give a whole lot of thought about how do we support a child through grief? How do we support a child through the chronic illness that perhaps a parent or a grandparent is facing. So I'm super excited to have Laurel here today to really shed some light on that and also to let us know about some really exciting events and programs that they're providing that are open to the entire community. So welcome, Laurel. Thank you so much. So I would love to just start off with, you know, when we think about a child and a family, oftentimes, you know, I think families think, well, we're not going to share anything with this child because we want to protect the child. And And then I think sometimes what happens is the child obviously has a vivid imagination and they Mm -hmm. may imagine things being a lot worse than perhaps they are. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. So then how do we, you know, let's just say, you know, we have a grandparent that maybe has an Alzheimer's diagnosis and, you know, that the family is maybe hesitant to bring the child around that person because of maybe some of the behaviors they're exhibiting. How do we prepare a child to see something that is a little bit different? You know, my daughter, she's uh, six, almost six, and we were um, at an event and she saw a lady who didn't have any hair Mm -hmm. and she looked up at her at six years old and she said, why don't you have hair? It was just very curious. Mm-hmm. And the lady had you know, a very nice answer to her. And she said, you know, I, I had some, took some medicine and it made my hair go away, but I'm feeling much better now. And that was enough mm-hmm. for, for Julia, my daughter, to say, oh, okay. But, you know, I think in some situations you might see a parent go, shh, don't ask those questions yeah. and try to shoo the child away. So, you know, how do, how do we handle things like that? Absolutely. And that's a wonderful question and a great example, too, of kind of how kids process these mm-hmm. things. And I think one thing, that you've already touched on is that kids are wonderful um, observers. They're Mm -hmm. very keen observers to their world around them and they're taking it all in, but Mm -hmm. oftentimes they're poor interpreters. (laughs) So a lot of times they're watching things and they can kind of think that things might be worse than they actually are. Mm -hmm. So just providing that open and honest communication with your child. And I think just as the woman did with your daughter saying, kind of answering her question and taking her lead. So your daughter asks kind of the questions that she's needing to know. Mm -hmm. And that's what 
I encourage parents is a lot of times we think we have to tell them kind of all these big details mm-hmm. um, or nothing at all. Or we go nothing both at extremes. all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But really trying to take the lead of your child and answering the questions that they have. And oftentimes that'll satisfy them mm-hmm. um, and that'll be enough for what they're needing right then. Also realizing too that a lot of times kids will continue to ask the same questions over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really showing that they're processing mm-hmm. what's going on for that loved one. Um, and so what I encourage parents and caregivers to do is that's perfectly fine, but make sure that you're providing consistent and honest answers to your child each time that they're asking those questions. So then how do we as adults sort of get over that feeling you know, of, of little Julia, who mm-hmm. kind of goes up to somebody or sees somebody in a wheelchair, how do we kind of stop ourselves from that hesitation feeling that we have that you shouldn't approach people with these issues mm-hmm. and, and shouldn't ask them questions? Right. I think a lot of times it's our own kind of discomfort in it. <laughs> when um, we start growing up, we get filters. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the wonder and why I, one of the reasons I love working with kids is that they are just so honest and mm-hmm. curious. And I think a lot of times for parents, when we talk about, well, what's holding you back from talking about your loved one's illness it's because it's hard Mm -hmm. it's something really tough to do it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think taking more so of a cue from our kids of just trying to meet people where they're at Um, your little girl went right up to that woman Mm -hmm. and kind of asked her and she wasn't shied away from talking Mm -hmm. to her um, and she was able to ask those questions and just be present in that moment with with her. And I Mm -hmm. think that's beautiful and something that kids just do a naturally wonderful job with. Well, and I can tell you as a parent, I had an oh my God moment, like, Mm -hmm. oh, she just went up to somebody who's sick. And even though I work in the field, I didn't know how this lady was going to react either. So I was, I paused and I held myself back because, you know, I didn't want to just swoop in and stop her from asking Mm -hmm. her question. But then I was also prepared in case the person didn't appreciate the question on the other side, because you just don't know. Absolutely. And I think it's just balancing that. And as you said before, with kind of if it's your own loved one Mm -hmm. who's who's going through a a terminal illness, Mm -hmm. um, trying to just prepare your child if they're going to visit for, okay, what are the sites, sounds, smells? That they're going to see. So really setting them up. So, when so you they do walk tell in, them in advance. Absolutely. So okay. telling them in advance so they're not walking in and saying, oh, where, like, where's all your hair? What's this big pump? Yeah. You're trying to help prepare your child so that when they're walking into that space, they can be a little bit more successful and not feel so overwhelmed by everything that might be going on and what might be different for your, for your loved one. So how else do we prepare the child? So I think um, having those conversations of, okay, when when we go in, there's going to be nurses or other caregivers taking care of grandpa, Mm -hmm. for your example, and um, they're going to be there. They're helping him to feel feel better and not feel any pain, Mm -hmm. Um, talking them through. So grandpa looks different from last time that you saw him. Mm -hmm. Um, What is that going to look like for them? It might have a different smell in the home. So setting up those examples for them when they're walking into that space. they'll know and not feel totally shocked um, and hopefully not ask kind of, oh, no, questions mm-hmm. in that moment then. So adults typically, you know, grieve and show the grief process in a particular way. Do children do it the same way as adults? Right. So it's really different. And like I'd say for just as well as adults, everyone grieves differently. Mm-hmm. So um, you could lose the same person as as your loved one, but your relationship with them is, is different. Mm-hmm. So you're going to grieve differently. Mm-hmm. Um, with kids, it's the same thing. I think more so with kids, um, we kind of pull more so from this process called the dual process model of grief, where they're really able to come into their grief, think about it, mm-hmm. um, ask those big questions of, well, what happens after they die or what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And then they'll be like, okay, mom, I'm ready to go play. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times parents that I talk with are 
kind of shocked yep. and worried like is that normal yeah yeah is something wrong yeah and that's perfectly normal yeah. they're really it shows again your child processing that information a lot of times i wish adults that i speak with like we could have that kind of Seriously? process yeah of okay i can sit in my grief and then step away right <laughs> and step away and go play yeah. and go run around mm-hmm. the neighborhood and go jump in the pool mm-hmm. and then i can come back to it mm-hmm. and think about it but their minds i think are are wonderful in that it's protecting them i can ask you those questions mm-hmm. and when i'm satisfied or when it's too much I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to go run around and be silly and be jumping off the furniture Mm -hmm. and all those normal, quote unquote, things that kids do. So, you know, my mother passed away a few months ago and, um, you know, and she lived a great distance from here. So my kids didn't really know her very Mm -hmm. well. And so when I told my children, I really thought this isn't really going to make much of a blip on the radar for Mm -hmm. them, really. And so, you know, I told all three of the kids at the same time, and I have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an almost six-year-old. And I just was kind of, Mm -hmm. it was kind of interesting to see what the reaction was going to be. And so the 14-year-old kind of put his arm around me. He's like, oh, gee, mom, I'm awfully sorry for Mm -hmm. you. And then he just went off. Didn't really, and again, they didn't really know her that well. My 11-year-old just kind of sat there dumbfounded Mm -hmm. about the whole thing Um, and then kind of talked to me about it a little bit wanted to read the bible that sort of thing Mm -hmm. that night Um, and then my my the one that really didn't know her at all the the little Mm -hmm. girl she just burst out into tears Mm -hmm. and she's like well that means she'll not be here anymore Mm -hmm. and you know we're not going to see her anymore but is she going to is she with the kitty meow meow in heaven and so Mm -hmm. she was trying to process well is she with things that she knew and so it was interesting how each child like you said Mm -hmm. different relationships had a very different and part of it was probably the age differences yeah. had a different reaction to yeah. that but you know the young one is the one that keeps coming back to it mm-hmm. in your example so mm-hmm. every once in a while she'll say well it's really sad when people die and we don't yeah. see them anymore but they're in heaven and so she keeps trying mm-hmm. to kind of think in her mind Absolutely. you know where is grandma because she didn't see her and yeah. so and that's the difference too with children's grief versus adult grief yep. is that they really play off um, their caregiver their uh-huh. loved one and they are very attuned to what's going on for you mm-hmm. and how you might be feeling and often Oftentimes we hear from parents that, oh, well, my child's not talking with me about my loved one. And then they come visit me in the grief center and, oh, this, that, and talking about grandma. Uh, Um, And oftentimes parents can sometimes feel hurt because you want to be that person for your child. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing. You want to be there and be that safe person for them. Um, But oftentimes kids that I work with say, well, I don't want to make mom sad. Right, right. I don't want it. They're yeah. already protecting their loved ones, and they know. Well, I don't want to talk about it and make make mommy upset. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely an definitely a very different experience yeah. than than adult grief for sure. We've got Laurel Hillen in the studio. She's with Transitions Life Care, and she is a grief counselor. We'll continue our conversation right after this break. You're listening to Aging Matters: Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest this evening is Laurel Hillen. She is a grief counselor with Transitions Life Care, and we're having a discussion on on child bereavement here, Nicole. And this is, uh, again, I, I think something that a lot of people don't tend to factor into the into the equation with mm-hmm. caregiving. You know, there's so much going on, as we've talked about, and how overwhelming typical situations can be. And this, is, this could be one of those things that just kind of 
you only address it when it comes up as so sure. many things happen with caregiving. Sure. Yeah. You know, I saw an article the other day and I have to say, and maybe I'll ask Laurel what she thinks about this, but it said there was, there was a child psychiatrist for an infant. And I thought, what in the world? <laughs> really? Is there such a thing? Really? Yeah, there wow. is. And so I think too, people think, oh, well, they're too young to yeah, grieve. Seriously. And, um, knowing that I, it's it's just different. Yeah, so it's yeah. more so helping them just processing their feelings. And again, it's them pulling off emotions from their caregivers yeah, and yeah. kind of feeling maybe not totally knowing what's, what's going <laughs> yeah. on, but knowing that something's, something's different, something has changed. Definitely. So, but I know that uh, Transitions Life Care, one of the things I love about Transitions Life Care is really their robust grief program mm-hmm. and the fact that it truly supports an entire community. Um, it's a service that has no charge, mm-hmm. um, and it is doesn't matter if you've used Transitions Life Care uh, for your loved one or not. Yeah. And I know you have some pretty amazing programs coming up, and the first one I wanted to highlight is the Camp Reflections program. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, our Camp Reflections program is something that we're really proud of. This will be our 16th year offering Camp Reflections. Wow. And um, what I love about Camp Reflections is it's always been a family camp. Mm-hmm. So we really see the importance of pulling in the the parents, the caregivers with the children, allowing them that space to kind of grieve and process as a family, while also giving individual time for kids to connect with other children who've experienced the death of a loved one. Um, so grief is, as I think maybe a lot of people have maybe experienced, can be an isolating thing. You feel like maybe I'm the only person who's ever had this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Power About Camp can, Camp Reflections and um, some of the other programs that we offer is that it's allowing children to connect with other peers who get it. Mm-hmm. They understand what it's like to experience the death of a loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's allowing them time to process that, but also be a kid and mm-hmm. have fun. Um, so with our Camp Reflections program, it's coming up on September 29th. Okay. That's our full day of camp program. It's right here in Raleigh at um, Lake Wheeler Park. Oh, okay. And um, what we do during that full day is that the campers come. They're broken up into small groups. Each group is led by one of our um, bereavement grief counselors. Okay. And um, they're having fun. They're doing some expressive arts. They're making nature picture frames. They're doing a drumming circle. Um, they're learning constructive coping strategies that they can utilize at home. Mm-hmm. And then we're coming back together with the families. We're making family hope flags, having some time of connection all together. So what are the age ranges allowed in that camp? So the age ranges are elementary school and middle school. Okay. Um, and it's just a really perfect mix of um, children as well as our amazing volunteers that come together just for a super fun day. You know, one of the things that I've recently encountered, a a dear friend of mine, um, her daughter lost her dad at a very young age, Mm -hmm. and it was the 10th anniversary Mm -hmm. not too long ago. And the mom didn't really think much of it. I mean, yeah. it's been 10 years, but that made a huge impact to that Absolutely. child. It was, for some reason, it was, it's been 10 years since mm-hmm. dad was gone. Mm-hmm. And that, they, they really sort of regressed. Is right. that, do you find that around anniversary times or holidays that children sometimes kind of go back to a different time? Absolutely. So when a loved one dies, a lot of times kids can see some signs of regression where mm-hmm. they're going back to a time where things were safe, mm-hmm. things were more normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do often see behaviors like, if they're like thumb sucking or wetting mm-hmm. the bed, things like that. Um, but another thing that makes children's grief so unique is that um, I've heard someone say before, kids, you can't grieve what you don't know. Right. And so that for that little girl, that was 10 years without dad and what that's going to look like. And I think for kids too, when they graduate high school or mm-hmm. get their driver's license Weddings. or 
have a wedding. Yeah. Those are things that as a parent and caregiver, you might think about is, wow, that's really hard because you've been through those things. Yeah. You kind of know what to expect. But kids, they're going to continue to grieve mm-hmm. as they go because they don't know what that's going to be like on their wedding day right. without their parent there, right. without their loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, so allowing that space to know that with children's grief, it is it is a process. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's one of the things with grief that makes it so hard is that grief is really a process. It's an active process that you're going through. And it hits you out of the blue sometimes. Absolutely. You just and don't even know. It could right. be a song, a smell. Right. Just somebody walk by that looked like somebody and yep. you just you get yep. startled by it. And I think a lot of times folks can get up, caught up in kind of the, the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And I say a lot um, to families that I wish I could give you a checklist and say, mm-hmm. okay, Nicole, in six months, you're, you're going to be fine. You're good. Here's just your pass. Thing. Get out of your grief free gift card. And it's not, <laughs> yeah. And it's not the case, unfortunately, in yeah. that from 10 years down the road, something's something's going to hit you and you'll sure. feel right back in that moment. Sure. Um, so just providing that, again, continued support mm-hmm. and connecting with other professionals who can provide support to you and, and your family. Sure. That's great. So I guess a, a question I have about the transitions grief care is, you know, if somebody, you know, sort of has passed that one year mm-hmm. mark or the 13 month mark mm-hmm. after a loved one dies, if they're feeling like they need support at another point, are they able to access that? Absolutely. Okay. So with our programming, um, we have adult counselors on staff. Mm-hmm. We also have children's counselors. So I'm one of our um, children and teen bereavement counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're here to provide that individual counseling support. Um, for folks in the community, we're able to offer up to six sessions. Um, and with our hospice families, we're able to offer a little bit longer time. Mm-hmm. But knowing, too, there's, again, there's no time, time stamp. Right. That you might be doing great one to two months out. Five months from now, you might need that extra support. Mm-hmm. We're here. We yep. want to be that support for you. Um, we want to be able to offer those services wherever you are in your journey. And aside from the individual, we also offer a variety of groups. Mm-hmm. So some folks don't want to come in for individual. Right. They want to just come for groups. They want maybe more of a traditional support group, like mm-hmm. um, loss of a spouse, mm-hmm. loss of a parent group. Or some want kind of the expressive arts groups that we're offering now. We just did an eco art program mm-hmm. for our adults. Um, so being able to provide a variety of services um, that is hopefully going to capture everyone in the community or as many people as we can of where they are in their grief process. So I also know that you have uh, some video resources online, which can be helpful to anybody in the community to help prepare them for what to expect. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we made um, a group of nine videos that's available if you go to our Transitions Life Care website. It's under Grief Care in our resource tab. And they talk through kind of how to prepare and support children and teen when a loved one has a terminal illness. Mm -hmm. So how to even begin that conversation or provide support to them. Mm -hmm. Um, It talks about how to prepare your loved one um, and your children when your loved one is dying, Mm -hmm. Um, how to have that conversation, how, and then after the death has occurred, how to talk with them, how to share that really difficult info. Um, And then on the other side of that, preparing children for a funeral um, and supporting them after death has occurred. So those videos are available um, on YouTube and on our website to really just provide some concrete information, um, some language that you can use when talking with your kids. So another thing that I often encounter when working with family caregivers is anticipatory grief. Mm -hmm. It's you know, just knowing what's coming and, and grieving, especially when people have like a, some sort of a neurological disorder, mm-hmm. when that per- pieces of that person cognitively start to right. go away and they're just grieving. They could be grieving for 10 years before that person right. passes. Is that something that you provide support for or can give suggestions to folks on how to kind of process that while the person they're caring for is still alive? Absolutely. And I think 
too, that um, people do need to process mm-hmm. that and that anticipatory grief. And um, I think a lot of times with parents just on a child's role is um, they don't want to talk with a child that their loved one is dying because mm-hmm. they don't want to lose hope um, mm-hmm. that things will change, things will get better, which is really natural. Um, but I think your hope can change. So hope for sp- spending really quality time with your loved one. What does that look like? Making a movie with grandma, making a photo book, taking pictures together. Um, So how does that kind of hope change? Um, But often I tell folks too is that um, unfortunately you can't turn in your homework early with grief. (laughs) That you (laughs) you can do that anticipatory grief, but you can't turn that homework in early when it happens, when your loved one dies, you're still gonna have that grief. Those Mm -hmm. feelings are still gonna be there. I mean, even though you might feel like, Oh, well, I've had this time prefer- to prepare. Um, it's always it's always different. The finality of it is, is is a true thing. We've got Helen Hillen here. Or excuse me, Laurel Hillen in the studio here with Transitions Life Care. She is a grief counselor. Laurel, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really appreciate you taking the time with thank us. Thank you. Again, you can find more information at transitionslifecare.org. You can head over to the resource tab and click on the uh, the grief button there, and you can find plenty of information. The videos that Laurel mentioned earlier. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excellent, excellent. Good to have you here. Thank you. We've brought in uh, maybe our favorite guest here on on Aging Matters. He doesn't say that to anybody. No, I don't. I am feeling very special. (laughs) You're certainly friend of the show status. We've got Lisa Roberts here in the studio with the Alzheimer's Association Eastern North Carolina chapter. Lisa is the executive director. Lisa, thank you so much for being back here with us. Thank you, Jason. It's wonderful to be back with you. And I have have to say, Jason is matching you with purple. Purple today. Oh, he yes. is purple pride. Okay. <laughs> I'm I loving. I'm sorry. It. I missed the That's memo. Okay. You have a shade of pink. <laughs> Jeez, I'm like not good. feeling good. <laughs> you have purple in your heart. I know that. Uh, I'm lucky <laughs> I was dressed to be here today. <laughs> oh, I understand. Because you saw me running in the studio. That's okay. That's all right. Well, I am super glad that you're here with us today, and we have so much to talk about, mm-hmm. and not tons of time. But um, I guess first and foremost, you know, the thing that's on top of my mind is really talking about the collaborative effort that we have between Transitions Life Care, Transitions Guiding Lights, and the Alzheimer's Association. Just around the corner, our summit, our caregiver summit in Chapel Hill coming up on August 7th at the Friday Center. I am so excited, and so is my entire team. It's such a wonderful celebration of caregivers, and this being the 10th year, I know. we just expect it to just explode. We want everyone to come out and register and be part of that caregiver community where you can get the support and the education that you need. So we're thrilled to be uh, connected with Transitions and you, Nicole, and your great team, Transitions Guide and Light. Um, it's it's going to be a great event. I'm looking forward to it. You know, and I think one of the things that is so unique to this, to this, so to speak, market, you know, sometimes when I travel around the country and I talk about these caregiver summits that we put on, people are just amazed that there is such a thing. And number one, I mean, a lot of people try to do a little conference here and there, but that organizations that may 
compete on some levels for donor dollars or whatever it may be are willing to come together for a greater cause to benefit the family caregiver because you know if you did a Venn diagram and you put all the organizations together that try to support what we're doing in our work the intersecting point is really that family and so to put everything else aside and really try to build something so beautiful for that family caregiver I think is something that Maybe I took for granted in this community, but it's something we're truly blessed with. We are. We really are because we all may have slightly different mm-hmm. missions, yeah. but at the core are the families, just like you said. And yeah. I think that that makes everything else just trivial and per- peripheral. We want to make sure that they get the support that they need. Definitely. So, you know, one of the ways we do that is, you know, we work in partnership to put these summits on with the ALS Association, the American Cancer Society, the American Heart and Stroke Association, the MS Society. And all, we all come together with the idea of pulling together speakers that will work across all different variations of chronic illness. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're sitting here in the room. The reason why we partner with the Alzheimer's Association is that I believe, unless statistics have changed, one out of every two people over the age of 85 will have some sort of a dementia diagnosis. Right. So this is a huge mm-hmm. issue. So they may also have COPD and diabetes and, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, but they have cancer survivor. Yeah. But they also have dementia. Absolutely. And and sometimes they have more than one kind of dementia, which I think is a surprise to people that you can be blessed with more than one type. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And everyone hears Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And even though Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, there's vascular dementia, there's um, all uh, frontotemporal, there's so many different types of dementia, and that's why we're technically called the Alzheimer's Disease and Related Disorders as an organization. That's our official name because we even know and recognize as an association that there are so many different levels. There's mixed dementia. Um, there's so many different levels and types. And unfortunately, Alzheimer's is a very complex disease. So what may present itself a certain way in one person mm-hmm. may affect a family or the person with the disease totally different. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have the diversity, I think, of our collaborators, which I think you do an excellent job with pulling that together for the Caregiver Summit, but I think also for our families, Mm -hmm. because they're dealing with so much more than just that physical disease. They're dealing with behavioral issues, communication issues. So we provide a 24-hour helpline, Mm -hmm. seven days a week, all day, any day, holidays, so that families can get support from licensed clinicians from the Alzheimer's Association. So if somebody's listening right now and they say, oh, a 24-hour helpline, what is that number? Could you give that to us? Absolutely. It's 1-800-272-3900. Call us day or night. You are not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you, We have support groups all over the nation and North Carolina. Um, we have uh, early stage support groups mm-hmm. that um, we partner with Duke Family Support Group for. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do a fabulous job um, with that. So there's so many different levels of community education, which we offer often free of charge to organizations and to um, all types of um companies that need to support their caregivers. And I think that's one of the things, too. You know, when I step back and look at the responses of the family caregivers that attend these summits, um, it's the fact that 
when they walked in, they felt alone. And then when they walked out, they realized that there are so many people that are sharing the very same journey that they are. Absolutely. And that's unfortunately what brings you together. I know having a personal connection to the disease, I didn't, I wasn't aware fully. Mm-hmm. First time I heard amyloid plaque, I was like, what is that? I was on my <laughs> cell phone on my trying teeth? to look it up. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what in the world is that? I've never heard of that. And I think that what the caregiver summits do and why I hope people will take advantage of this opportunity on August 7th is that they allow you to have that level playing field where regardless of who you're caring for, Mm -hmm. that's the commonality. We're all there to support each other and to provide free education, maybe have a couple of laughs through our Mm -hmm. pain. That's right. Um, But definitely to have you leaving that day on August 7th at 3.30, feeling like you were overwhelmed with information and support. Mm-hmm. Definitely feel like I have a community wrapping your arms around That's you. That's right. For Very sure. Important. So for those interested, it's the caregiversummit.org. It's this August on the 7th at the Friday Center in Chapel Hill. It's uh, $15 to attend, which includes a lunch mm-hmm. and the entire day's education and resources. So we really hope you come on out and join us that day because it is something that um, I think you'll feel like it was worth your time for sure so but when you stepped into the studio you shared a staggering statistic with me that I think well and I've worked in this industry for a long time I had no idea the Mm -hmm. amount of Medicare dollars that are going on a daily basis towards uh, uh, the impact of Alzheimer's disease it's it's It's, an expensive disease it's it's actually the most expensive disease in America more than cancer more than cancer it's the most expensive disease in America and how expensive is it one in every five Medicare dollars is spent on someone with Alzheimer's truly one in every five every five so 20% yes 20% 20% of all Medicare dollars. All Medicare dollars is spent on caring someone that's for Alzheimer's. Staggering. It's staggering. So that, that is today, phase, that's not 20 years no, from now. That is right now with wow. our most recent facts and figures that were released in March 2018. Wow. We took this data, evidence based, to Congress on, in June. I saw those pictures. 17. You were running around Capitol yeah, Hill, oh, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, my feet hurt. I got my <laughs> Fitbit steps in. There, I, I bet you, you did. Uh, but Jan, uh, June 17th through 19th, that's why we were on Capitol Hill wow. turning it purple. Wow. And, and that same look that you had mm-hmm. is the same look that we have when these are released. And that's why we put wow. together information. And when we visited... And you have to remember, there were thousands of advocates that were there visiting each and every congressional um, member and Senate member. And we took that data. We took a piece of leave behind material with those statistics Mm. to them in the personal meetings, along with advocates who are living with Alzheimer's, people who have been impacted, caregivers, to make that point that this is why you need to increase research funding. We've got Lisa Roberts here in the studio. She is the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association, Eastern North Carolina chapter, and we're talking all about Alzheimer's. If you missed our little, a little bit of our conversation on the Caregiver Summits, want to remind you that you can go online to caregiversummit.org, caregiversummit.org. There you can register for the summit on Tuesday, August 7th. That is in Chapel Hill at the Friday Center. Again, caregiversummit.org. We're going to continue our conversation on Alzheimer's, just a fascinating and uh, really eye-opening figure that Lisa just shared with us. We've got more of that just ahead. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Claykett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Want to remind you, you can find more information about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, as well as our guest this evening, Lisa Roberts. She's the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association, Eastern North Carolina chapter. And Lisa was sharing some uh, eye-opening figures uh, just before the break here, saying that one in every five Medicare dollars is spent on Alzheimer's. Nicole, that's Jeez. that's bananas, as the I kids guess. say. It's more than bananas. <laughs> wow. That's just absolutely amazing. It and is. so... Um, I mean, it's just going to grow. It's going to grow. It is. I mean, and that's the even more frightening part. Right. And, but here's the hope. We, if we, we're all in this, we're in this to end it. And whether we want to be or not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because <laughs> it's in no all of our best <laughs> interest. Yeah. Because your greatest risk factor, as you know, from the facts and figures is age. Yeah. And we're living longer. So every single human on earth, whether they use their brain or not, um, yes, it is. Um, But everyone has a vested interest in seeing uh, new treatments, seeing uh, early diagnosis. Um, Basically, fighting Alzheimer's is going to save lives. Um, There's a three prong approach that we have been recommending as an Alzheimer's Association. One is treatment. Um, the second is the early diagnosis. People want to say, we've had people say, I don't want to know. Um, okay, here's the problem with that. I'm not sure if I'd want to know. I, I know. Well, I will be 100% honest and tell you, I'm not sure I would want to know. But knowing how nosy I am, I would like to be in the room and be able to participate in the conversation mm-hmm. instead of not knowing I'm in the room mm-hmm. and people are sitting and looking at me and talking about me. Yeah. So it's a big difference. So um, the, that second part, that early diagnosis is critical. And then, Nicole, something that you've been on the forefront of is the palliative care aspect mm. with transitions. Um, a huge, huge amount of savings um, can be uh, utilized because from a palliative care yes, perspective, How, where are you um, that where we're pulling and and I will you can actually see these um, statistics and the data and what we took to Congress to fight for increased research. If you go to alz.org/facts. Or if you go to alz.org slash forum and you'll see some of the leave behind kits where we really are trying to um, emphasize the expense of this disease and the toll it takes. But we talked about early diagnosis, but palliative care would save money because the average monthly per person health care costs for a senior with dementia at the end of life is huge. It's almost four point eight. This is scary. Um, where we're looking at um, millions there, but if they, it can be reduced if they receive that cost can be reduced if they receive palliative care. Okay, tremendously. So that's okay. First of all, we need to explain what palliative care is for yes. those listening that don't Please know. Do. And yeah. then the second thing I think we really need to hit on is the fact that receiving palliative care doesn't mean you're receiving a lower quality of care because people can start running and screaming and saying, oh, so this just means you're just going to let me sit in a corner and die. And that's not what it is. That's not what it is. is. Mm -hmm. So palliative care is a type of care where 
it's not hospice care. It's when a person has some sort of a chronic illness and they're starting to receive disease management mm-hmm. and some of the services that typically a hospice would provide, like assistance with resources, mm-hmm. assistance with the actual pain related to a disease. Mm-hmm. It's really wrapping that your, the arms of, of a healthcare system around an individual yes. and looking at them as person-centered care. And that's a little great Beautiful. little tag word that everybody likes to use, but only certain things are truly person-centered. Mm-hmm. So it's really looking at how do we support the family? How do we support the spiritual needs of that individual? How do we manage the medication and and the, the actual treatment that individual is receiving? Um, how do we support all aspects of the level of care that that person needs? Because Alzheimer's disease is not an overnight disease. Correct. This goes on and Absolutely. on and on for years and, and sometimes decades. Be, exactly. Decades. Exactly. I've seen it. Exactly. And it's exhausting. And then sometimes right. a caregiver goes from caring for one person for decades to another or another person gets added on in the middle of it all. And so palliative care is a great way um, while a person could still be receiving curative measures or, you know, all kinds of different interesting treatments or study drugs and still receive that that consultative care around that. Absolutely. And you um, did an excellent job explaining that. What people don't understand is that level of care would save dollars because the, the, the legislation that we're putting in front of Congress is called that it's actually it's a short name it's Pachetta haha but it stands for <laughs> Palliative Care and Hospice Education and Training Act. It sounds like it's it belongs on an Italian sub. It does. It sounds delicious. It does. It does. <laughs> we want you to use it. It's that's financially to, delicious. There you go. There you go. Beneficial. But that's so that everything that you described can be done in an environment where people are well trained, mm-hmm. are well informed. And supportive, and we have a workforce that's going to support that. So, palliative care is part of that three prong approach that we brought to Congress and our Senate leaders this year to say this is the most expensive disease in America. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. You need to increase the funding mm-hmm. and you need to increase the legislative support for these types of legislation. We need to affect lives with change. And the way we're going to do that is to basically put in new legislation. Well, and I can tell you, Lisa, you know, in some of my work where I support family caregivers, even through an online support group, there's about 400 and some my caregivers part of that. And palliative care comes up regularly. Now, I'm telling you what, five years ago. People would have been like, palliative, what? What, is that? what the exactly. heck does that mean? Exactly. And so I think people are becoming more aware. And I think part of that is the baby boomers are a little bit more actively involved. You know, you said curious or nosy. Mm-hmm. Um, they they want to really know what's going on and, and what's it, what the best things are for their loved ones. They'll, they'll be the first ones to Google something. Absolutely. Um, and so I think, you know, we're going to have to learn also how to work with baby boomers as as actual advocates for themselves. You know, right now, some of the generations we're working with, we have to figure out what family caregiver is going to be the advocate. Right. I think coming a little ways out here, it's going to be that patient that's going to be advocating for themselves. Absolutely. And with, you know, this disease being so prominent now on the forefront of everyone's minds, um, it, it that has a great impact mm-hmm. because people are now being more informed. They're mm-hmm. seeking out education and tools and resources to help them uh, manage it because mm-hmm. it is very complex. So those are some amazing facts and figures for mm-hmm. sure. Talk to me a little bit about encouraging treatments and research because the reality of it is, mm-hmm. as it stands right now, it's more about symptom management than 
stopping the disease. It is. What what are we seeing in the future? We are hopeful. And I'll say this. um, The big push and what you hear in the news right now when you hear the story from, you know, pharmaceutical companies like Lilly and Biogen and so forth. Here's why. The big push in a new treatment is for disease-modifying treatment. Mm -hmm. So here's what I'm saying. You're absolutely right when you said it's more symptom management. Mm -hmm. We need uh, medication or pharmacological treatments and therapies that are actually going to break up what causes Alzheimer's. Disrupt. Exactly. (laughs) Break up the amyloid plaques. Break up the tau and the tangles, the actual core biomarkers of the disease. So a lot of the clinical trials that are going on, and there are 128 um, that are going on right now, um, really, really encouraging. Uh, North Carolina itself is one of the study sites for the U.S. Pointer Study, mm-hmm. which is going to be run out of Wake Forest Baptist University. And both North Carolina and California are, for, are two of the first clinical sites awesome. where they're recruiting um, participants. So we're encouraged because a lot of the new research and a new science is based on lifestyle, mm-hmm. based on exercise, diet, all the things we know, put the cheeseburger down, mm-hmm. you know, eat more kale, <laughs> you know, all of the things that we actually know, those are what um, uh, we're studying. So it's encouraging. So I just want you to have a, a chance real quick just to shout out your Walk to End Alzheimer's. Yeah, we're excited. Our Walk to End Alzheimer's is our nationwide signature event. It's the largest, if you will, gathering of people who are coming together to end Alzheimer's. So it's uh, in 600 communities nationwide. But here in North Carolina, we have 21 walks, both on the western side of the state. And then we have six on the eastern side of the state. We'd love you to come out. You can check it out at alz.org slash walk. Awesome. alz.org slash walk. Lisa Roberts, Executive Director of the Eastern North Carolina Chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you so much for joining us again this evening. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jason and Nicole, for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. And a pleasure to have you. We are out of time for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to head over to WPTF.com and find the Aging Matters section where you can find plenty of information about Transitions Life Care as well as past episodes of Aging Matters. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We'll hope you'll do it again next week. For Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.